Welcome to Concussion Stories, a Life Yana podcast series filled with hope. I'm here to let you know that you are not alone in your concussion recovery. I'm Melanie, and I spent more than six years experimenting, training, and learning in order to heal myself from a very bad case of post-concussion syndrome. And today, I feel better than ever before. In Concussion Stories, we dig deep while discussing hopeful stories of recovery, as well as the hard stuff in the messy middle. If you're struggling to focus, be sure to take breaks. Down in the description of each episode, you can find a table of contents in case you want to skip ahead. Let's dive right in. This episode is part two of my conversation with Emeritus Professor Andrew Ma. If you haven't listened to the first part yet, please do before listening to this part, because this episode is really a deepening of everything we spoke about in the first one. Now, Andrew is going to share more about the Center TBI research project, its research method, about the concussion diagnosis tools that the project is looking into, and of course, more about concussions and what the research has discovered. There will be some overlap with the first episode because we wanted to make sure that the story was still coherent. Let's spend another 20 minutes with Andrew and everything he has learned. Welcome to the Concussion Stories podcast, Andrew, and thank you for being here with us. Thanks. It's a pleasure to join you. Happy to contribute. Uh, I'm glad to hear. So even though you are officially retired, I um, really want to thank you for your time because you are not one for withering away on a beach somewhere. Am I right? Uh, right. And being retired doesn't mean doing nothing. In fact, I find myself just about as busy as always. How come? What are you spending your time on? Uh, I'm mostly spending my time on research research into traumatic brain injury, TBI. I led a, I'm still leading actually, a large scale project in Europe called Center TBI. I do that together with my colleague from Cambridge, David Menon, who is head of the intensive care there. And that's a large scale project, which was supported by the European Commission, one of the funding programs. It's like a small management business running a study like that. It's uh, been going on for just about 10 years now. Actually, the funding stopped at the end of March, but that definitely doesn't mean the end of centered BDI. Much of the work is still ongoing and we've been able to get some additional support to maintain the infrastructure, the data platform, and much of the analysis for the next three years. So I'm very happy about that. Okay. And you have been arranging uh, funding in, a, in order to be able to do this, I gather? Yes. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. Because um, if I read it uh, correctly, then uh, the project was funded by about 20 million euros before, and about 175 researchers were involved? Um... Yes, the, the total support from the European Commission was actually 30 million euros. And so that's quite a lot of money. It is. And, but, but strangely enough, it's never enough. Mm, so I... 
uh, it sounds very stupid, but budgets in the project were a bit tight. So we got from other sources also a little bit of additional funding and we were very happy with that. Mm, I can imagine. So can you tell a bit about um, uh, the Center TBI project? So um, how come it was so important what you were doing and what exactly were the things that you were hoping uh, to achieve and are still hoping to achieve? Because as I understand, it's ongoing. We can talk for a full day on that. I'll, I'll try and summarize in, in a couple of sentences. Traumatic brain injury, uh, many people don't realize it, but it is a substantial public health burden throughout the world. Um, in Europe, approximately, the European Union, so that was before Brexit, including the UK, in the European Union, approximately one and a half million patients are admitted each year to hospitals because of TBI. About 57,000 in the European Union die each year. On a global perspective, the estimates are that about one out of every two people will suffer a TBI sometime during their lifetime. The total cost worldwide due to the injury itself and the indirect costs after that because of disability, etc., they amount to about 400 billion US dollars, which equates to about one dollar or one euro out of every 200 of the gross economic product. So it's a substantial problem from the, the global health perspective, but more in particular for the patients and their relatives who have suffered a TBI, because many um, have long-lasting complaints. The more severe injuries, mortality rates vary between 20 and 40%, um, but also in patients with less severe injuries. And actually, that was one of the things that came out of center TBI. We've learned that what was, is still called mild TBI is in fact not so mild. Of patients who would meet the definitions for mild TBI, which is rated according to the level of consciousness, we found that approximately 50% do not reach full recovery by six months after injury. That is a tremendous amount. And if you look at other outcomes like health-related quality of life or post-concussion symptoms and you include that in your scoring, then it's about two-thirds of the patients with mild TBI who still have complaints at six months. So the big message there is mild TBI is not so mild. And 90% of all TBI is mild TBI. So if we could make a difference there, that would be a tremendous advance. So what have you been uh, focusing on mainly with respect to the concussion? So mild TBI, um, 
field. Yeah, let, let me first say we, we looked at all severities of TBI. So we didn't only focus on mild TBI. No, we looked at the entire spectrum. And whilst the traditional classification of severity is according to the Glasgow Coma Scale, measuring the level of consciousness, where the three categories are general, mild, moderate, and severe. We deliberately did not do that because we felt um, we should nip, we were not going to challenge the Glasgow Coma Scale in itself, but the course categorization in mild, moderate, severe, yes. So we looked in particular at care paths. So we differentiated patients who were seen in the emergency room in hospital and discharged home. The second group was those who were admitted to hospital, to the ward, but not to the intensive care. And the third group was those that were admitted directly to the intensive care unit. So yes, there are some parallels between mild moderates who are there. I mean, most of the patients sent home had mild TBI, but for example, of the patients admitted to the intensive care unit, 36% were actually classified as having had a mild TBI. Uh, to us was a surprise, we would never recognize that. So we center TBI, it, it was much more than just observational data collection actually, we also did a thorough research of what literature, what evidence is currently available. But the main two pillars were observational studies, where we did a so-called core study, collecting observational data on, in total, just over 4,500 patients. And in those patients, they all had a CT scan. We had blood sampling for determination of biomarkers to see if that could predict outcome, but also could help in deciding if patients with a mild TBI should or should not have a CT scan. And taking it even further, if even although the CT scan was normal, if those biomarkers could perhaps identify patients at risk for complaints at six months. We included uh, genetic analysis and we included advanced neuroimaging. So not only that say the standard MRI, MR that you had, but also more advanced techniques such as what's called diffusion tensor imaging and we found that much more sensitive to abnormalities than the standard clinical MR. Mm. <laughs> so you have been digging deep in order to find, and, and digging wide, in order to find a whole scala, I would say. Yes, and then of course we, we captured data of patients during their hospital stay, uh, hospital stay but more importantly, we captured very detailed outcome assessments. And that did not only include simply functional outcome, um, but also quality of life, questionnaires for anxiety, depression, and cognitive testing. So that was fairly all inclusive. 
and one, one of the, the simple things that, that turned out was um, Centre TBI was done in 20 countries in total across Europe and we included Israel. Most of those outcome questionnaires were only available in the English language. So one of the outputs of Centre TBI, which I think is a very important one for researchers and clinicians worldwide, was translation of those outcome instruments into different languages. Not only simple translation, I've learned that's only part of the story, you need to do something which the specialists call linguistic validation because the phrasing and the interpretation of words can differ between different cultures. So that was a fairly heavy effort, which was pulled off by our collaborators in Göttingen in Germany. And they translated the outcome instruments and linguistically validated them into those 20 languages. No matter how good medical care in the hospital is, no matter what type of miracle drug may come up at some point in time, to me the, the simple but dedicated aftercare and a system to ensure that every single patient has access to that, that will make a difference. That doesn't mean that that aftercare should be the same for each and every patient. No, there will be patients with more cognitive complaints where you might consider cognitive training. There will be patients with more emotional complaints where you can target that with the neuropsychologist. And in others, just having the listening ear of a good doctor may be sufficient. So that, that aftercare can be variable, but an essential part is that it's structured and that every patient has access to it. Now, that's maybe taking it a stretch too far, because if you would want to organize that for every patient, you are probably overburdening the possibilities of care because there are so many patients that have a mild TBI, you would overburden the system. So one of the things that we would like to do when we're thinking about that is how can you best predict um, at an early phase, let's say within the first week or maybe the first two weeks, which patients with so-called mild TBI are likely to have long-lasting complaints and then target your structured follow-up to them. But that means seeing all patients in an early phase and then being able to put in the triage which patients need more intensive follow-up and which likely don't. Mm. That sounds like a very, um, assuming that you can indeed identify which patients need what in this earliest stage, it sounds like a very uh, a huge improvement of current care. Yes, I, I, I think it's, it, it can be that. 
Can you share your vision about what you feel is most important uh, in the post-concussion or concussion care um, system? The most important to me is that the patient has a fixed uh, point of contact to which he can not only go in case of problem, but which serves to create um, a structured system where problems can be identified and intervention can be given early on. To me, that is the most important. And in current medical care, that is lacking. Yes. And am I right in assuming that this would require, I think, uh, maybe also political influence. So um, um, you mentioned before, for example, the economical consequences of TBI, and we can automatically assume all of the consequences of TBI if we hear all of these numbers. So people cannot go to work, people cannot um, function well, people have high um, healthcare bills. Um, is it important in order to make this happen, these changes that you think are most important, that politics realize this in order to provide funding or can we do it another way as well? No, I, th I think um, the major change would come from healthcare policy. Okay. And that, that means um, targeting policy makers. I'm uh, sorry? Targeting policymakers. Yes. So at, at the government level. Yes. And as I said at the beginning, patients and patient organizations are much more adept at getting that done than science is. Um, we, our study, Center TBI, was primarily a European study. It had a sister project in the U.S. called TBI, but it was primarily European. Now, Europe is a great region in the world, but within the European Union, you have all these member states with all their own governments. And that means that in every member state, you would need to approach at the government level and trying to harmonize that is problematic. And also for us as, as the, the, the researchers, makes life very complex. If you go to a European body and present your case there, it will be much simpler. But that's not the way the system works. And unfortunately here, we need to play by the system rules. So you have started this, in the Netherlands, but the fact we're doing this interview in English means you're reaching out to a much broader community. So if that could evolve into something European or more global, and you would gain influence through that way, I think that would be a huge, um, achievement and I don't want to push you too much 
But if you see that as something that you want to accomplish, go for it. I hear your call to action. And um, yes, uh, that's something really that I would love to accomplish. Awareness and education, I think, are the most important ways in order in which you can change a system. Yeah, it starts with awareness. So that's what I'm trying now. And um, let's see uh, how far up I can go. I, um, I think the challenge accepted. <laughs> And um, let's see in a while. Where I can help or advise or whatever, feel free to contact me anytime. More than happy. Thank you very much. Now I would love to hear from you. What do you take away from this episode? Is there something that you can apply to your life right away? Head on over to livejana.com and leave your comment now. And if you want to hear and read more concussion stories, actionable steps, and inspiration, be sure to subscribe to the LiveYana email list while you're there so that you never miss out on new materials we constantly make for you. If you want to support this podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash concussion stories. Thank you for listening to this concussion stories episode by LiveYana. May you be well and may you be happy.